Hey there, thank you for tapping over to this episode. You know, technology is a bit of a tricky thing. It's something that's so essential to our being and everyday life that we've become like my penultimate example, fish unaware they're in water. See, technology takes on so many forms, we often forget to even see it. Take fire as an example and the ability to create it on demand. From rubbing a few dry sticks over kindling, to using a flint and a zippo, fire is the genesis of much of the world around us that we see. Just take a moment to think about the iPhone or whatever device it is that you're using to get this to reach your ears. Could that have been created without fire? Whether it's smelting the metal, firing a kiln to extract minerals, or even generating the power to charge the battery, fire is essential. What quickly becomes dangerous, or at least very interesting to this sapien, is how that technology is an extension of us, and by that very nature changes us with that technology in a clever dance back and forth. We create rope to be able to rub sticks together faster, only possible because of the fingers and opposable thumbs we have, which right away, those sticks end up just being an extension of those appendages, rather explicitly. The next part of that, though, is that technology in a way pushes back and changes us. Were we able to move further into the grasslands or into other climates because we had fire to keep us warm and ward off predators? Would our tools have gotten better if not for fire, able to melt metal and form it into bronze or steel or titanium of the space shuttle? Or what about the alphabet that I'm using to type out what I'm reading off to you? Could we have gotten to the space and time to figure out how to create shapes and forms to match what we make with our vocal cords without that campfire? We don't really think about writing as a technology but it most certainly is. And as a further example to the hypnosis that technology inherently creates for us, both by our nature and by our culture. An amusing thing about both technology and ideas is that they can live on beyond their initial use or the time they were conceived and become something quite different, most frequently losing that context of where they were started. Take Machiavelli's political powerhouse book, The Prince. At the time, Niccolo was in exile and used the book quite unabashedly as an attempt to get a job back with the Medicis, and laid out in the book what he saw as a good set of strategies to reinvigorate the Florentine Republic. It was not, as many people now like to think, a guidebook that swept the world at the time by storm. In fact, most of the aristocracy looked down on his writing because it let the cat out of the bag as to all of their tactics. See, it was never seen to be a playbook to be an effective ruler, but rather examples for how he would be an advisor. That is quite a difference from the current international order, which intentionally or not relies heavily on the lessons within the prince. Which goes to show... Both ideas and technology, as they speed and unfold through time, dance to create a murky influence on culture, and us.
Niccolo's examination of the Pope's son, Cesare Borgia, doesn't include that he's trying to get back in the good graces of the Medici family. But that's exactly what he's doing. Which is all but one example of how books can change the way we form as a society. How that technology of writing marks on a page can be codified into a culture so deep we forget to question them. Could a proportional response, like we're seeing with the UK and US launching missiles into Yemen to push back on attacks in the Red Sea, could that have happened without the prince? It probably would, just as how it was written in his time, not necessarily as something that wasn't known, but something that wasn't written down. But how far would that have gone? Or what about a more contemporary example, Google Maps? How does the fact that most of us use Google Maps to get really anywhere change our relationship with the city we live in? How does it change the way we create a mental model in our head of what's where and how do I move about? Let alone, how do we get information on new shop opening up other than from anonymous strangers on the internet instead of hearing it directly from somebody in the flesh? How we might quantify this push and pull between technology and our culture and who we are as beings is so difficult, I'd wager to say it's impossible to put a number to it. Not to say it's an unworthy cause, though, because the distinction between digital experiences, physical experiences, technology versus just normal, and the interplay between all of that will become increasingly more blurry in the coming years as AI advances and that interface to us and access to it becomes faster and faster. What effects will occur? To be frank, though, I don't think musing what changes will occur is as important as attempting to realize how it is affecting us. Because the technology we're using will affect the reaction we have to it. And really the only constant that we have is that. Technology will change, but the fact that technology influences us back and is an extension of us, that's a constant. Seeing a comedy in a packed movie theater will be a totally different experience than watching it on your phone in a subway, both of which are technology-driven experiences. Today, it's no longer just a one-dimensional technology like symbols and printed on a page, but an ever-expanding interplay between many, many technologies. To a Monday Night Football game played by the characters of Toy Story, live streamed right into your VR goggles. And the more the landscape of these technologies expand and overlap with one another, the more it will both affect us and be harder to realize. Like a Skyrim player who knows exactly how to get to the next village in the game, but can't do the same in their own physical world without the aid of a device. Which really means that the pointed idea of Marshall McLuhan's the medium is the message, is ever more helpful for our time today. The medium, or technology, from an art piece to a commercial appearing before a YouTube video, or even that clickbait article that's got your blood boiling earlier today, right on to that email you can't stop refreshing. All of that streaming into you 
is changing you subtly and affecting how you perceive what is being presented. Not long ago, we as a group went from waiting patiently for Sunday night to roll around, to gather together and watch The Sopranos, to now endlessly watching short, seconds-long clips of people dancing on, dancing on TikTok by ourselves, which has, in turn, affected what people expect to be played to us. Then the paradox of the puzzle that McLuhan left for us is really left for each of us to unravel. Is the means something reaches us more important than what it has to say? Is that I'm learning about some tough political topic on social media in a clip that's 15 seconds more important that it's on social media than what it's saying? To me, it both is and isn't. An important line between those two is that the more we're on social media, or any medium for that case, the more we'll become blind to the subtleties of it, and the less we'll see an outlier on that medium as that, an outlier. These outrageous politicians don't seem as outrageous when we see them on social media as we would if they were across the hall hearing them speak. Mark Twain famously said, never argue with idiots. Onlookers won't be able to tell a difference. Well, old Samuel Clemens never had Twitter. I think there's an even better way to sum this up than my guest on this episode says. Mediums can highlight, amplify, and distort a message. And remember, mediums, that's just technology. That's the way something is delivered to you. And it's in that way that it's on us to individually be aware of how that happens uniquely for ourselves. How, uniquely to us, can something be highlighted, amplified, and distorted? And then also think, how is this the same for everybody else? How is this little black mirror that connects me in an incredibly shallow way with the world, shaping the way I see the world, as well as that black mirror? How is it putting me into, as Marshall McLuhan puts it, a narcissistic necrosis, where I no longer realize that the way this little rectangle presents reality to me is, in fact, shallow? Well, all the while, it's pulling me into one more flick of the thumb, again and again and again. And with that, we're going to follow my conversation with Dr. Aidan Hirschfield, a media psychologist, researcher, tech consultant, and all-around interesting fellow. They're the host of the podcast Media Psyched, that's linked in the description, where Dr. Aiden approaches media from the industry angle. It's just getting off the ground, and it's worth a listen. This episode that you're about to hear is actually a cross-collaboration, so you'll be able to see this pop up on Media Psyched as well. In this conversation, we expand and debate the meaning of Marshall McLuhan's idea, the medium is the message. You're not going to want to miss this one. Wherever this finds you, on our big, beautiful blue planet, I'm wishing you the best. Hey, real quick while I have you here. If you like what you're listening to, please tap that follow or subscribe, as well as sign up for notifications so you'll know when our next season or episode drops. 
Also, if you're curious to look at our catalog of all that we have to offer and some exciting things we have to come, please visit us at bandwidth.productions. This, this whole countdown from Riverside, it needs to just give us bongs. And I've said this so many times, maybe finally they'll get picked up and Riverside will finally make uh, this, but I never give them feedback. So I doubt they will. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, the problem. Just, I'm literally just screaming into the. Yeah. It's just people like us that <laughs> they're like, I'm so mad about this, but we actually, but I'm the person who sends that feedback. I have like <sighs> emails. <laughs> like, See, I'm, I'm the person, person that has all the feedback and I just say it into the void. And I just, I'm expecting Riverside's listening to my podcast to be like, oh, there's a countdown that should have bongs, like pleasant sounding bongs, followed by a different boop once at one. Anyways. Uh, thank you, Dr. Aiden. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself really quick? Uh, sure. Yes, I'm Dr. Aiden Hirschfield. I'm a media psychologist, a researcher by trade, do lots of consulting and fun things like that. And uh, I'm host of the podcast Media Psyched, which is all about our relationships with media and also talking about like I, I, my goal is to be like the voice of media psychology in industry because like no one's talking about it and it's really the best of like ux and like user experiences through like the lens of you know the study of psychology which is like over 100 years that's old. awesome yeah i'll introduce myself since we're going to do this as a cross pod uh i am a podcaster i won't say the podcast name because i put it in the description i think i'm going to change the name so i won't say that uh, but I'm John. I also go by JR and I do consulting mostly in product development. Uh, I'm a podcaster. I like philosophy a lot. Talk to a lot of different people on my podcast about a lot of different things. It's, the point of it is to drive curiosity. Um, and I'm also super into media. Uh, and I have been, and I've been like running nice. a stealth media project since 2017. Uh, so I've been working on that. I have like over 2 million media articles that I've been collecting and analyzing since 2017, actually. So this has been a deep thing, uh, which is how we first started talking about media. Um, and now we're going to jump into this. So I'll kick us off. I'll ask you a question. And since it's a cross pod, then you're going to ask me a question. Uh, the question I always ask people Perfect. when they first come on the podcast is, what do you like to do that makes you happy? Mm. I'd say right now I'm like gaming super hard. It is the way <laughs> that I'm like, I've always been a gamer, a very bad gamer. Like if I had a, like a gamer title, it would be like, watch me play bad, like video games badly. Like that would be like my like tagline. <laughs> but you know, if I did, it's like right now my social avenue, like I have a really like thriving discord community of folks that I've like all my friends and stuff. And we'll just, just all I have to do is ping here. And I've got people on league and we're playing until two o'clock in the morning. So I'm definitely like very hardcore gaming right now, um, poorly, but I'm still doing that's totally it. fine. <laughs> uh, that's fun. I haven't, I haven't let myself play games in so long, but I think I'm going to play some NBA 2K coming up pretty soon. And I'm very excited for that. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I haven't played sports games in forever. It's so funny because we talked about my partner and I were talking about um, like the PC games we used to play when we were little kids. And there was like backyard soccer or like backyard basketball. And we're like, how, 
can those have yes. a comeback? Like, can we just like <laughs> bring back that kind of game? <laughs> Very simple, like sports games, not the like complexity. I think I saw they were advertising on Xbox a game for like you're a football, like soccer football um, manager. <laughs> so it's like not even playing soccer anymore. It's like evolved into a whole different ecosystem. Oh my God. Yeah, no, the backyard football games were a blast. Because it was like or like three on or four on four or something like that, and it was like the, the big bobblehead characters that are just moving around. Yeah, let's totally go back to that. <laughs> it's so good. And then I don't know if you saw this, but um, I've been like digging all, like Pixar stuff right now, and on Disney Plus, and they did like a mashup for I think it was like a Monday Night Football game or some big football game, but they made it. They like did the football game live in the toy story universe and so they made like a football field in andy's room they had like all the football players look like little toy characters and it was live streaming but in like a 3d like animated oh my world God. that sounds so disney that's so like that's so it's the <laughs> corporate collided. synergy of owning all of these different media things of bob Iger is just like oh my god we got espn i know how to make espn profitable put buzz aldrin in Buzz Aldrin's running queue. <laughs> Woody's going to be a cornerback. Let's do it. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's so true. It's like, it's full, for me, it's like full transmedia oh, totally. storytelling, which I'm like totally here for. But you're totally right. Like the back end of that is just like yeah, corporate totally. greed. No, it's just a bunch of guys <laughs> that are like on the verge of starting a tequila company. And the next step before doing a tequila company is let's go and get fucking the dinosaur from Toy Story to be an offensive lineman. And let's get this going. They've got the slinky dog yeah. on the side. Mr. Like, potato had running. totally de- the defensive ends. <laughs> so ridiculous. So <laughs> you know, but it's also like, it's like breeding that next generation of like NFL Yeah, it's the next fans. generation of concussions. <laughs> yeah, the next generation of concussions yeah. brought to you by Woody and Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> and people spending too much money oh, on Oh, totally. Yeah, like, there's totally going to be Modelo in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. So we got there. <laughs> this is what's gonna happen because I'm I'm ADHD AF. I'm so over, we're gonna I'm over caffeinated, so we're pretty yeah. much at the same level right now. Uh do you want to ask me a question? And then I, I wanna get it started on the, yeah, uh, I'm, the I'm media excited. stuff. So go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask folks every time on my podcast, uh, how do you define media? Mm, how do I define media? Um, that's a great question. I would say anything that was created to be consumed, viewed, or interacted with by other people. Or by people, because I won't even say other people, because I want to alter it a little bit because AI is going to be generating a lot of media and it's going to be doing that autonomously. So I would say like uh, writing something on a blog post or writing something like a book, a book is media, right? Um, I would say a podcast or audio is media. I would say music is media. So anything, I mean, essentially it's like a wide bucket of, you know, I want to say it's different from art because art can be something that's brought brought into the world from me for me only for me but i think the second it's intended or stumbles upon other people it, be, it becomes media like marcus aurelius wrote meditations 
meditations is just his daily journal to himself. I think it was actually a piece of propaganda, but that's my own little spin on it. Because uh, <laughs> why the hell else would it be preserved? Why would it be preserved? I think he was just doing it to like to out of a, a sense of ego. I won't get down that road. Anyways, he wrote it as a journal to himself. So if we're gonna, we'll fo- just say we're gonna, we'll go trust fall into that narrative. So he wrote it as a journal to himself. So it wasn't intended to be media, but the second it was brought to other people, reprinted, and then all of a sudden, I, I, that's where I was make the distinction. So something that's created, intended to be consumed, interacted with, uh, delivered to other people. Oh, I love that. Because <clears throat> I always say it's like any form of like mediated communication, which is funny because like this whole episode's about yeah. mediums <laughs> and like and messages and stuff. So I and I think that's interesting. Like the additional like add is that like it has to be cons- it's something to be consumed, you know, and is the like act of journaling a form of media, you know, or is it when it's socialized or distributed, it becomes media. Yeah, so I, I think would that's say yeah, definitely. I would say once it in my in my view of this, it's it's either intended or has the option to be consumed. Because I think so many people are creating media right now, but it's no one's listening or no one's watching. Or you know what I mean, like if I'm making a uh, Snapchat live, I'm creating media, but it might have nobody that looks at it, and it might be zero people that actually interact with it. But the, I would say the fact that I'm trying to present it to others is what gives it that distinction of media. Because as I, I mean, as we're going to get into with this whole concept of the message is the medium or the media is the message rather. Uh, I think the act of even trying to bring it to that medium and to others alters what you end up per- like doing and it alters how it's, and then it even alters how it's perceived. But even before we get to that, just like the fact that I'm going to put this out into the world is going to alter how I put it, what I sh- the decisions I make, all of those things. Um, so I, we got into this the first time. I think it was the first time we ever talked. I said that I like Marshall McLuhan's The Message is the Media, or The Medium is the Message. Uh, and you were like, I hate that. Or as it's titled on his book, The Medium yeah, yeah, yeah. Massage, which he kept. <laughs> I, I love that though. Yeah, so like he, he gets this book printed. The Medium is the Message. And it, it has a typo and says the massage. And he goes, I like that. That's that's That actually goes to my point. I'm going to keep it and print it. Uh, and he ships it out, um, which is hilarious. You can actually hear. <laughs> which says a lot about him, though. I, I, I think so, too. But why? what do you think it says about him? Because I'm curious. Well, I don't know what you're going to say. You can oh, so I was going to say, <laughs> so it came out as a book in the 60s. And there's also an album that is an audio, a double album audio of the book and it's different than the book which is interesting it's on spotify so if anyone wants to get a uh i'm gonna say if anyone wants to take an acid trip down that album go do it because it was made in the 60s and every bit is it's like a psychedelic trip in the 60s where they're using stereo sound so it's like tripping you out the whole time of like going left and right uh and it's like fading noises in it's like there'll be like sounds of someone like moving trash bins in the background while he's talking at times like it's amazing uh but not only is it super captivating because of all the things i'm saying he also explains in the beginning why it's called the medium is the massage and not not the message and then you know through the course of the next uh like 70 minutes or so uh he explains this whole book and people are interested they should definitely check that out I love that. I have not seen that. That's hilarious, dude. And it's interesting that they changed it for an auto, like a audio presentation. It's like 
before Audible, yeah. <laughs> like before it predates all this. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of what he talks about is um, he's predicting the future in a lot of like people, how re- people reference him now is like, he was very pre- predictive in his a- ability to see through some of these technological innovations and see like the cultural and social impacts of them on a broader scale. And it's funny you talk about too, kind of him reproducing his work between um, both written and audio publication, because a lot of what he talks about is the medium is massage and like, and his understanding b- media book, which, the understanding media book that he wrote in like 1964 and published, that was his like most prolific work. And in it, he essentially talks about the idea that, you know, the written word was, uh, took over essentially the audible, you know, interpersonal communication, peer to peer conversations and things like that. It re re it took over that medium and it reestablished itself as the dominating medium. And then, um, as we get into telephone era, you know, that is the new medium and it dominates books. I I don't agree with his philosophy to some extent. (laughs) Like I think it's, they're extremely important, but they all exist now concurrently and they're all very important. And so, so he's predictive in the sense of like predicting so, social medias and like internet, the internet and that kind of stuff. Um, but in the nuance of it, there's, there's something missing, which is, I know. Go right ahead. <laughs> Go right into it. <laughs> it's like so excited. Okay. Well, it's funny. You're talking about like stuff people should listen to and like look at when I was prepping for this episode, just kind of pulling some fun stuff. Cause it's like, I studied Marshall McLuhan in like my master's program, like probably eight years ago. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's, he was like a crucial piece of media psychology, absolutely important and, and, and an important historical figure and like place in history to, to understand because it, it was really, he came out and was publishing in like the birth of advertising. Um, and funny enough, I was watching Mad Men with my partner and there's an episode where they talk about <laughs> Marshall McLuhan's book and even in a couple episodes in the end and uh Joan I don't know if you're familiar with the show um but there's like two of the women in the office um she's delivering information to one of the other women and she's like oh why didn't you know the man tell me this and he's like well the medium (sighs) is the message (laughs) they're like using this like colloquially but they're also like using it you know in the time that it's it's so it's it's funny so a couple fun things for people to check out though um, I was listening. I listened to a podcast episode in prep for this um, from a, a podcast I'd never heard before. It's called Weird Studies, and it's fascinating. And I'd say it's like it's highbrow. <laughs> it's like if you're looking for something a little like meteor that ha- uses a lot of big words, <laughs> this is the episode for you. But they, you know, the stuff they talk about is fascinating, and I have like a bunch of like exciting bullets to like touch on here but um one of the main references they use is um he actually did a playboy interview back in the 60s i think it was in the 60s and the playboy interview is where he actually really talks i think more um not eloquently but more simply about some of his principles because if you read the book like it's very dense understanding media like it's only really worth reading the first chapter which is the medium is the message and so that first chapter really tells a lot about his stuff but he writes in such a philosophical way and a verbose way that it's extremely difficult to to I think for a lot of folks to even like chew on what he's saying. Um, so I brought some quotes and some fun stuff for us to like dive into. But generally, I think those are probably the good things I'd listen to is 
you know uh, the playboy article great read just really funny and like very interesting (laughs) yeah and it's and um, i'm definitely gonna check out that spotify album for sure uh so i want i want to dive into this so i think i'm going to take a stab at defining what the medium is the message is and then tell me where i'm wrong uh okay so the medium isn't is the message is an idea in which what medium something is conveyed in is as important or more important than the content of what it is. So like a medium, let's define that. So a medium would be a, let's say, I'm gonna put it this way, a style of presenting media. So is it a book? Is it a song? Is it a someone standing on the street in a corner uh, reciting Homer's Iliad, which is how it used to be done? Uh, or is it television or whatever it is, right? Uh, so the medium in which it's being presented, so let's just say it's CNN news. The fact that you're watching it on CNN news is more important than what CNN is talking about. Um, or the fact that you're reading something on Twitter is more important than what you, you what the contents of it is. And McLuhan's idea is you have presuppositions and I guess this is you have baggage you're bringing to it of what this medium is. And that's influencing the way you perceive the message um, more so than the message itself. Where where do they get wrong in there? I mean, pretty much spot on. I think he defines mediums as technology, um, but that's kind of hard, I think, for a modern audience audience to understand because we see technology now as like wires and plugs yeah. and like things, you know, like the technology of things. I don't know, you know like, and so. I, he's more talking about like technology in any historical intervention. Um, so like the Gutenberg press, which actually was not the first yeah, yeah. form of press printing, which was, it was actually yeah, invented in China. China. And yeah. before that, <laughs> yeah, shout out to China. Like, and so um, Gutenberg gets all the credit, you know, but um, that that's the kind of stuff he's talking about is like each technological innovation being a medium that consumes its predecessor. And yeah, exactly. Like the idea that the medium it's presented in, um, in this interpretation is, is more important than the message being, consumed. And I think that it's funny that you bring up the CNN example. That was something I was thinking about earlier is I think that's where the fallacy exists and the problem exists now in understanding McLuhan through a modern lens, because a lot of times folks, you know, just, (laughs) they just start with, I trust this source. Therefore, any information I consume is therefore valid and truth. (laughs) And that's, I think, part of the problematic thinking is when McLuhan was presenting this information, people weren't thinking that way. People had no conceptualization of media. They didn't understand the impact that technology had on our way of life. Um, And he was asking people to dig deeper. He was asking people to take off, you know, the lid and, and, and kind of be a little bit um, esoteric about how their approach is to understanding like its implication on our day-to-day lives. And again, that's back to like the age of advertising when, you know, cigarette companies were using doctors <laughs> to <laughs> sell cigarettes and things like that. And so he's, he's, really um he's out of context in a lot of ways from a modern era even though he's so crucial and important to the way we yeah, that's, understand that, media. That's a but i think you got it right um yeah and so i want to take this idea back further because when i was thinking about this several months ago um are you familiar okay so i, I read a lot about the classics uh are you familiar with like socrates at all okay okay cool Very um 
So Socrates is like this super famous philosopher, right? Um, famously, he never wrote anything down. He's so everything that he ever said is actually attributed right. to Plato and uh, another playwright at the, t- at the time whose name is eluding me. Um, so you have to like figure out like is this them speaking through Socrates or is this actually what Socrates said? And there's like all these different distinctions between it. Um, but the reason he didn't write anything down is that he was actually against the technology of the written word. Um, and so like, I'm going to say technology. So like, I- I'm going to go back the rest of the time using uh, medium or uh, as it, but writing is a technology and that's something we don't think about. Like being able to have yeah, typeface absolutely. and how that phonetically uh, translates back to how we speak. Uh, and then the push and pull between those two Uh I'm a big fan of linguistics. It's one of the things I study a lot in college. And, um, you know, what I love about English is that we just take another word and we anglicize the pronunciation of it. And we're like, oh, yeah, cool. Rendezvous? Done. That's now part of our language uh, or whatever it may be. <laughs> um, but being able to do that in a typeface and all of that's very interesting. Um, and the reason he was against it was twofold. Um, so when I, when I was talking about the Iliad before and people standing on the corner speaking, I was doing that intentionally because back in the day, Hill, uh, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey were spoken and people memorized them in their entirety. Um, and he was worried that people were going to be no longer doing that because it's written down, which is true. Do you know anyone that can memorize a 3000 line poem? I don't. <laughs> um, and then the other thing was, uh, this guy has uh, been on the podcast. He's a historian, uh, Felipe Fernandez Armesto. He has this really great idea uh, that bad ideas are always going to trans uh, are always going to be taking ground from good ideas because bad ideas distill the world. They're easy to trans uh, transverse. Uh, good ideas tend to be complicated, need a lot of nuance, need a lot of factors in it. So Socrates was worried that bad ideas would propagate generations because someone would write something down. And then someone sometime later would read it, but not have the context of everything else that surrounds it. Because he thought that the writing it down was uh, dulling it in a way or distilling it to be too small that you wouldn't understand like, uh, no, they weren't talking about doing something that sounds horrific, you know, just for doing it. They were doing it for ABC reason that you lose the context of it or, you know, or you interpret it in a different way. So that's why he was against it. Um <laughs> And what that's uh, when I was thinking about that, I was finding that so interesting because now we have so many other things that are happening that are just throwing at us and inundating us in any given way. Um, but okay, so I'm going to use that as a segue to say I really agree with McLuhan in the fact that I do think the medium conveys a lot of the message, but not so much in the way that you said it of the CNN, of there's a source, I'm going to take everything as a source, but that everything on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, I will even just say news on the television in general has gone away from smoke-filled rooms and good night and good luck, which I think even then it was theater, to being more theater, more entertainment, more of those things, and which even if what they're saying to you is true, it's formed in such a way that it's leading with entertainment more than it's leaning with anything else so that the response to the message is emotional in the same way each time, not so much that it even carries any weight. 
Totally. I love that. You know, and the couple of like interesting things that you're talking about in here. First, I think too, like Socrates, when you talk about Socrates, like the Socratic method in and of itself is the antithesis of written form because it requires you to consistent to ask why, to ask why again and again and again and never stop, you know? And, and I think that is incredibly important when you think about the context to which that idea and that philosophy existed. And two, when you're talking about like people memorizing, you know, 3000 word poems and things like that, that's partially all they had too. When you think like folk tales and stories were passed down generationally, we've lost so much of that in, in colonization and globalization and all of that, you know, and stories have become this kind of like seven indoctrinations, of like seven forms, right, of stories and how we tell them. <clears throat> But now, too, we're in an age of overconsumption and overabundance of information. And, too, kind of I think what you're talking about, too, underneath the medium is the intent. And that's why I partially think that medium is not necessarily as important um, as the message it contains, partially because messages now transcend mediums. And when you talk about transmedia storytelling, these are messages that are perpetuated through different mediums to reach the same intent, which is often a capitalistic intent of some kind. And that's what you're talking about too, is news media has transformed from being to some extent journalism and the intent of journalism and journalistic integrity to being something that is intended for clicks, is intended for attention seeking. Um, it's the attention economy, I think is something that maybe Marshall McLuhan predicted to some extent, but didn't understand truly like the impact that that would have on how, like really the like complexity and ambiguity that mediums have to to some extent in the modern age because we can tell messages and stories through so many different mediums, but it's the same idea, it's the same intent. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I think that's fair. I don't think it mad. I don't think intent matters as much though, because the one thing I'd like to throw in here before I unpack that more is, I operate under the base assumption that there's never really been a journalistic integrity. There has been like flashes of people who have done things that are really, really fascinating, like you know the whole like all the president's men and Woodward and Bernstein like taking down Nixon, totally cool. The I can't remember who was the journalist uh, who worked with COINTELPRO, you know, and like this whole secret uh, FBI program, you know, counterintelligence program to like kill uh, Fred Hampton. I did, I did actually did an episode on that um, or like any so of those things, like totally, that's awesome. That's totally happened. But I mean, this Spanish American war happened because of yellow journalism. <laughs> uh, it's so true. The propaganda that existed from the birth of the pr printing press was, it was always there. And I mean, even before that, like something I've talked about before uh, is, you know, we think about all these writings. Okay. If you go to the ancient world, the person you're going to have the most written words from that, you know, are most likely from him. One of the people is going to be Julius Caesar. And why is that? Cause he was just writing propaganda all fucking day long. Right. So exactly. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, like, you know, the good night and good luck smoke filled rooms of like the fifties and forties and all of that. Like, I don't actually think that that was as golden age as we think. It was still a very small group of people that all had the shared central interests that were acting in many ways of an information cartel. 
Um, and bef- I mean, during World War II, people would go to the movie theater for their newsreels and it would be footage from the war. And are they going to show you anything you didn't want to see? Uh, are they going to show you the fire bombings of Tokyo? I doubt. I don't think so. Um, so <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I, I also I wrestle with how much of it is true capitalism and how much is just a special interest in general. Because people are going to want to be working with their friends. They're going to want to be making more money with their friends, regardless of what strata of class or society they are. Um, And the guys who own and run CNN are the same people who run chemical agriculture and all of those things. And they all fund each other's projects. uh, And they're all just going to keep it trying to go. And you are competing for attention. Totally. Which I think is a slippery and easy justification for them to say, of course, we, you know, we dress up and, you know, we put on a play, but we're doing that because we have to in order to make sure we get this message out there. Oh, well, that's interesting, too, because there's something underneath there. I, that's why I think intent is is so important. So I'm interested to come back to that. But part of it is you think about like like documentary journalism and, and things like that and forms of journalism, journalism, which which have the intent of amplifying lived experiences. But they're always going to be filtered through a medium. And I think that's when we come back to like why mediums are so important. And it's because you're having to filter messages, just like journalists, like journaling, you know, and, and like we we're talking about in the beginning, it's like um, the, if the intent is to convey a message, A, like what are all the contexts that exist and the constraints that exist for you to tell that message? And then what's the bias that exists behind that message? So you're never going to remove bias. And it's important to understand that as a limitation. But that is something too that I think you can tell a lot about intent when people don't call out limitations, bias, and constraints and things like that. Yeah, completely. I completely agree with all of that for sure. No, and I think that that's, yeah, that was the other point that I was going to bring up is that the biases color the intent to the point where I don't know how much the intention. I mean, okay. I think intention matters, right? But I also really believe in Robin Hanson's idea of the elephant in the brain, which the elephant in the brain is this concept. It was also a book by Robin Hanson and Kevin similar. It's one of my favorite books. I encourage everyone to check it out. Be careful before you do. It's going to change your worldview. Sorry about it. Uh, but what it is, is the, the first third of the book is they explain this concept of the elephant in the brain that I'll explain in a second. And then the next two thirds is they unfold it across 10 different in- industries and they explain how it crops up. And the elephant in the brain is the concept that the core driver of human behavior is that we deceive ourselves so we can better deceive others so we can show allegiance to a community. So if I'm making a documentary on climate change, I may not put things in there or shoot things that are counter narrative to what I think, because I'm trying to not, it's not necessarily even that I'm trying to deceive other people. It's that I'm subconsciously or consciously ignoring the thoughts in myself uh, to deceive myself so that I can then deceive others and say like, no, 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 I'm a climate activist. And maybe I would take things out that are about like regenerative agriculture, for example. Right. Cause that's counter narrative to me, you know, whatever it is that I could be saying. Um, So I think the intent matters because it matters of how do we perceive this person's actions. But if we're talking about putting and propagating their ideas out there in the medium, I don't think it matters as much because, okay, for example, documentary. 
how many people are not going to watch a documentary because it's a documentary? A lot, right? So I, I think <laughs> totally. if I okay, so then if I want to if I want to get to those people and say, or I'm a huge fan of regenerative agriculture. Um, I eat meat now. I used to not eat meat, but I only eat it if it's regener if it's regenerative or if it's coming from a place, and that's a personal choice that I'm making um, because of the fact that I want to be supporting farmers that I know. And I want to be support, supporting farmers that are making soil for my future children to be able to have, right? So uh, if I wanted to make a documentary about regenerative agriculture, maybe Mark Shepard. I like Mark Shepard a lot. I'm making uh, a thing about his farm, right? How I, I, We already just said I'm going to be limiting the amount of people that are going to see this, right? So then what if I make a TikTok? Cool. I'll make a TikTok. What is it? Like eight seconds? I'll make a TikTok about this guy. I'll make a series of TikToks. I think the fact that I'm putting it on TikTok is going to shape what people see and take away from more than me even saying, hey, look, you can buy beef. If you buy from these people, you're not destroying the atmosphere. And I think that even just putting it on TikTok is going to shape who sees it and how they perceive it even more than just saying meat can be good. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, all that's true. And I think there's a couple like layers underneath there too of like the audience that you're going to reach through different mediums. So like the medium is extremely important for the demographic you're trying to reach or the story you're trying to tell and things like that. And interestingly enough, my partner and I were just talking about this, that, you know, originally when the pandemic, you know, had just first started, people were consuming shorter and shorter bits of media in, in order to distract themselves and to like have quick consumption and things like that, which quickly as the pandemic continued, you know, evolved into people being so overwhelmed and overloaded that that actually created like a, like a larger um, reaction, you know, and, and more like anxiety and stress and all that kind of stuff. And now people are going to longer forms where we're seeing like the most popular TikToks are 15 hmm. minutes long. And I think that's, what's so interesting too, about like the psychology behind all of this um, and how the human brain works. And, and that, you know, a lot of the time, you know, this, these are unconscious, like you're talking about, like the elephant in the brain, these are unconscious behaviors, patterns, and things like that, to which like, if only if we're curious enough to learn, are we going to understand our own psyche? <laughs> and that is what Marshall McLuhan asks us to do in his work, right? He asks us to, to uncover those unconscious patterns and behaviors that are driving, you know, our like listening or in driving how we consume and listen. Because that's the thing, even if you were to produce something, you know, eight seconds long, if the only takeaway they get is one second long and two words long, you know, how are they filled? filtering that information through their heuristics. And I talk about a lot about heuristics and confirmation bias on my podcast, you know, heuristics being those shortcuts, those mental shortcuts that we need in order to survive. But when you think about something like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, you're talking about how people are going to filter um, their intent through this belonging, essentially, like you need community and belonging as a form of survival. And so in order to belong to this XYZ, I need to perpetuate this image um, and this ideology in order to, to, to fit within the mainstream. And then it's those people like Marshall McLuhan, the people like us that are challenging, right, the, that in that dialogue and that conditioning that we've been given. And I think, though, but beyond, you know, the... the triangle i always like this is the maslow this is, this is what I'm using. you know the beyond like maslow's hierarchy of needs is like something 
underneath all of that um, is a willingness to. I think that's the like um, something he asks of us, and I have a really good quote actually from here too, from what he talks about. Okay, so this is from Marshall McLuhan's Playboy article, and he says, you know, because all all media from the phonetic alphabet to the computer are extensions of man that cause deep and lasting changes in him and transform his environment. I call this peculiar form of self-hypnosis narcissist narcosis, a syndrome whereby man remains as unaware of the psychic and social effects of his new technology as a fish of, of the water it swims in. (laughs) And so he talks about like, you know, how, it's it's this field of awareness right like that an electronic media is filtering this field of awareness down 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 we come back to like the socratic method it's it's removing that um that need for us to have to it's creating more of an opportunity for heuristics to exist it says okay here's the patterns that have existed for information here's the conditions that have existed in the context all i have to do like on cnn all i have to do is consume and i can bypass all of the work that i have to do um and so there's more in here that is like really juicy like fun stuff but that's the intent that's the idea is that um you know there are people who have a willingness and desire and insatiable curiosity to understand themselves and the environment that exists around them and then there are always going to be people who give zero fucks and i just gonna just zoom through life without a care oh totally there's so much about that that i love what was that narcissistic necrosis <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's yeah. like a great band name or something, or like an album. The album you know, from the fish out of water, narcissistic necrosis. Yeah. Uh, but uh, see, I, I yeah, no, I I really agree with what he said, and I think okay, uh, there's like this this analogy that I've been noodling with to create into like a, a blog post or article or something, which is uh, what Google Maps did to our ability to navigate i'm concerned generative ai will do to our ability to be creative because because i can just put in here type something up it's going to throw something back out at me and it's going to shape my field of what i'm considering because i listed it like if i just say you know a brainstorming exercise give me 10 things uh to jog my memory of uh i don't know brand names for this new product that i have this is the descriptions of it's going to unintentionally shape where I'm anchoring to and how I'm thinking about things. Right. And I, I really worry about that. Um, and I worry about any technology when it comes out because it makes us more comfortable. And then we become like another part of us has atrophied. Like, okay, this is another great example. We were just talking about it. People used to be able to use, it was called the, well, the, the Romans called it the method of Loki. So I'll call it that. Um, but another way of thinking about it is mind palace. There used to be ways that people knew. Now this was learned people. This wasn't peasants or, you know, most of the world, but learned people, uh, understood. Now some cultures, you know, that was a a normal thing that everyone in the tribe or the community would know. Um, but what they would do is they would create like a mental image of a room or a house and then they would have all these associations with parts of the room or parts of the house that in their mind they're interacting with, but those are cues to different lines or different memories or different things. Um, I have a friend of mine who's done this to memorize the presidents, uh, but this is what they did to memorize 3,000 words of the Iliad or 3,000 lines of the Iliad is they would make these little mental palaces and be able to do that. We can't do that anymore. 
Uh, not by any means. Um, but I think so much of our world around us is now nerfing us to so many different innate abilities, right? Like, uh, my grandfather taught me how to know if it was going to rain soon, right? Like there's ways that you can actually tell that the pressure is dropping. It smells different. I'm feeling the wind is starting to, it has a different feel to it, tactile sense to it. And I, I, I can to a pretty good degree understand, Oh, no, we gotta go. We gotta go run inside right now where it's like, we have like moments and it's about to crack. Um, but that's just like one example of things that we probably knew to a much larger degree than I can even fathom of ways of interacting with our environment. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine, Ron Good, he's a, a tribal chieftain, and he talks about being able to just manage a whole area and know, like, if this species is, you know, uh, its leaves are falling too soon, what it means. He was telling me, like, six months ago about a sycamore that was losing its leaves, and he knew exactly what was going on with it, right? Um, and I think we're losing all of those things because we're snapping a picture and it's telling you what disease is on the tree. Um, and I think by the more we do that, the more the medium of what it's presenting to us is influencing us to more of a degree than even the message or even what is trying to be packaged and conveyed. Like, uh, I'll give you one last example and then I will stop diatribing, which is, uh, I like the band glass animals a lot and glass animals talks about some pretty real shit, like addiction or just like the problems that are happening in the world. And an acquaintance of, uh, my wife's was saying, my wife was like, oh, I love the lyrics. They're just so amazing. It's so moving. I'm, I'm glad they're talking about real shit. And he's like, what? I just go there to the part, go to the shows and get fucked up. And I'm like, oh my God, like you're, it's just, it's club music or it's like dancey, you know, kind of music. And the message right. is actually completely lost on you of how this guy is actually saying not to do what it is that you're doing. That's actually so funny because I'm totally like that. Like, um, I have like this thing where like auditory music, like I can't understand the poetry behind music. I just like I'll consume the lyrics and be able to like regurgitate them, but have literally no idea. Like, what they, and my partner is the one that's like very like very well. Um, she's like really good at like understanding all of that kind of stuff, like picking up the context and then giving me like all the information I need. You know, but I am the person I have to go up to look up the lyrics, make sure I'm like, am I actually like repeating something? I should <laughs> be repeating and like saying, you know? but I think that like speaks to a couple of things you talked about. I have like three fingers up. I'm like, okay, ready. To, like, <laughs> like, but first, I think <clears throat> on the AI stuff too. That is something that people a huge part of the conversation is right. Like, how is AI um, going to debilitate us in a lot of ways um, from being creative? How is it going to limit like um, even like. Are the neurons that we grow and the patterns that we make, you know, how is it reducing our ability to learn and retain information? All the absolutely important part of the conversation. Like another part of the conversation is actually about how is AI by reducing some of the time that we use on like a that we spend on like useless tasking and like things that we don't need to spend time on, <laughs> you know, how is that reducing our cognitive load so that we have space and time for creativity. And that is like something that's really important too when we talk about like overconsumption of information. It's like we live in a world where you're never going to be able to reduce all of the information and the inputs coming in. It's just like it's always going to exist that way. And you can't exactly have your blinders on, right? Like even when you're driving a car, you're getting ads, you're getting probably like a podcast you're listening to or music or something like that. You've got like road signs, you've got other people on the road. It's, it's just never going to happen where we're just going to be able to like 
you know, f- narrow our focus. In a lot of ways, AI is going to help us to some extent do that and then free up that cognition for like more higher level tasking, which is like creativity is a high level task. Um, and there's a lot to be said too about like um, the, co- the importance of creativity and intelligence. We talk about artificial intelligence and even the word artificial that comes from sci-fi. Like it's not even, it's not even like a real world, like word for now, you know? And, and that's, I think the idea too, is like, um, that intelligence and creativity go hand in hand because in order to be creative, you have to have like an, an, like a natural curiosity to some extent. And natural curiosity is also something that's important for creativity or for for intelligence um, and critical thinking, intelligence, you know, it, it being more of like a um, doctrine, not necessarily like a like a, a natural talent. <laughs> you know, like people are just natural born with intelligence. It's something that you have to go out and seek and and form you know ideas around. So I think that's something interesting. And now I'm like literally forgetting all of my other. <laughs> if you see me looking down, it's because I'm writing. Oh, I keep a piece of paper and a pen. Yeah, yeah I helps. need to. Uh, well, I can pick up with what you said right there because I, I, I like a lot of what yeah. you just said. Um, so I do think that a artificial intelligence and uh, maybe we can get away from that term, more advanced computation is going to help us right. uh, be more creative and free up time and take away the bullshit tasks for sure. But I think it's also going to make us more of a slave to technology. And I think it won't affect all of us equally, right? Like... Um, I, I, okay. I'm, I'm in tech. Like I, you know, I fuck around with AI. Can I swear on your podcast by the way? Okay. All right. So I fuck around with AI. Uh, I've worked with it both (laughs) in my professional and I have right below me actually is a data science rig I built and, you know, I I play around with it. I've done a lot with it. I'm a technologist and, uh, I work in tech and all that. And it, it, for, for some reason it surprises people when they find out like I don't have a television and I, I shove my phone in my drawer every night at seven o'clock and that my, that I'm actually incredibly hard to get a hold of both intentionally, but also because I turn my phones off constantly. I shove my phone in a drawer. I, I shove my laptop. My daily driver is a Linux machine that has nothing that is not needed for what I do on it, on it. Um, and the people who I meet that are in like AI or in similar fields and do similar things, a lot of them are the same way, but not the general public. And I think Jonathan Haidt is the one who's, or Haidt, I don't, I don't forget how to pronounce his name, but he said something I thought was interesting, which was, uh, if you go to Silicon Valley, none of their kids are on uh, phones. None of their kids have phones. And he goes, I think it's because they know the dangers of it, um, but they're not the ones that are, you know, pushing that out publicly, which I, I totally think they, they should. I think it's a moral, you know, re- morally reprehensible, but whatever. Um, and... <laughs> So I, I think it's going to be bifurcating. I think some people, it's totally going to free things up. But uh, the thing with creativity, though, is that I feel like it's not as much an active act as it is a passive act. So like I really like Rick Rubin's uh, The Creative Act a lot. I've been listening to him a lot, um, partially because it's r- really validating for a lot of the ways that I've sought create, you know, inspiration. Like I had a college professor, John Shields, he was really been like Phyllis Wheatley and uh, American Aeneas was like his book. But regardless, um, he, uh, I had an idea, like, a, thing, a thing that came from inspiration and I wrote it down. I told it to him and he's like, that's amazing. You should, you should advance that. You could like write an article about that. 
I was like, oh, what? It's just like an idea that came to me. And he goes, no, you don't understand. Like, that's how it works. Every time that happens, he goes, you need to write that down no matter where you are because it won't come back. So then that kind of advanced into this way of like, okay, well, I noticed that I enter these flow states. And if I enter these flow states, ideas just rush in and I have no way of doing it. So now I figured out this way of like my own process of being able to get ideas. So it's always like these passive things like washing the dishes and something will come or like, you know, something that I do intentionally for this is I will go hard all day the day before trying to figure out the problem I'm trying to solve. And then I'll shove it away in a drawer. I'll go to sleep. The next day I'll take my dog for a walk in the woods without fail. Something will come relating to it. And I can, and I can reproduce this over and over again. So I do think, um, creativity, like higher order, uh, is a higher order thinking, but I think it's actually higher order thinking of listening and being able to know how to create the conditions for it. And just as much as I think, you know, more advanced technology is going to give us the ability for uh, more creativity. I think it's going to rob some people from it because it's just going to keep falling through life is the way that I I, I say it. There's just no fault on their own. Um, It's just a set of their circumstances that have led them to their path. Um, And I think other people they're going to seem like they have more time for creativity, but they're not going to be doing enough of the banal tasks to get there. And I, I worry that too. So I, I worry about the, what is that? Like each, each decision I just said has another decision of two. So I think we're at like a factor of 16, almost of different possibilities of the way that technology is bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. So many funny things, you know, and, um, Something interesting that they're finding now is like the phenomenon as AI is is introduced and to art, right? And we talk about like mid journey and um, the the repub, what is it like the reproduction of art, right? Because AI is is not like in and of itself intelligent; doesn't create from nothing. It creates from gener- yeah, generative yeah. something. It's, just, it's, it's like, what it was it's trained, ge- yeah. automated it's what generated what it was, what it was intelligence. So like you know like. The, right. um, Mark Andreessen had a great example of his like Chaluli. Do you know Chaluli? Like the glass. He does like glass. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can tell it to give me a shoe that was done with Cholule, but you can't say, give me a new form of Cholule I've never seen before. It's not going to know what to do with that. Exactly. Exactly. And that is, that's art, right? Like art in and of itself is the, is the production of something new and novel to some extent. It's and through your own lens and through, you know, and, and that is as the phenomenon that's existing is that as AI is continuing to dominate more of our like technology, technological sectors or our work life, right? Um, it's actually moving us and even modernization in and of itself is moving us towards more like real art and real connection. People are craving real connections. They're spending more money on like physical art than they ever have before. Like people are actually going to like fairs and festivals and, you know, Saturday markets and things like that and looking for artists they're building community connections people are going out and making art for the first time you know and so i think it's it's kind of this idea that like sometimes this has to exist right like this surge in in maybe like what we view now is like through like this negative you know portrayal of ai i think 
which is important to look at it through. But, you know, as that exists, the polar opposite exists is more connection to like our ancestral skills. That's something that you and I connected a lot about uh, was like our connection to nature and how there's like, and it's so funny for like, I think queer people in general have this idea that we're all going to live on some Yeah, you always say that. And like, so build funny. Like, this giant <laughs> community. It's like, but it's like literally such a, like a hilarious joke, <laughs> but it's so true is like, because, and why does that exist? And it's because this deficit that exists from people who grew up in the age of technology and for like millennials especially where like our entire lives for the most part we have very little of our lives we're we're not inundated by you know some form of technology um, just like saturday you know cartoons and things like that you know that's where even when you think about that kind of like that indoctrination that conditioning that existed before we mm -hmm. even had consciousness of these things like we were sold yep. cereal you know, before we even knew what an advertisement yeah, or glasses was, you know, and things like that. Right, right, exactly. And so you talk about the, these them not giving phones to kids in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. I think that's because people have this innate fear that they don't actually even know what to reduce to some extent. Like, how do they filter this world, and how do they explain all of this context to children, and and give them the tools that they need to be digitally literate and to exist in this world? And I think by just removing something <laughs> doesn't help at all <laughs> like they're still gonna go out and find it it's like i think it's this idea of like you know like dieting too is you know how problematic all of these like cultural phenomenons are but at the same time it makes us turn in on ourselves and say well what actually is the thing here like what's the important thing that's happening here um one of the things i want to come back to is like um we talk about ai as well as like um how important it is for variety and diversity in experience and AI, we're talking about it's generated from something. A big problem um, and a great book is um, Weapons of Math Destruction. And I forget who the author is, um, but she writes on this idea, right, that like these data sets mm -hmm. are the problem. The problem isn't necessarily with the technology. It's with the data that we're putting into the technology and how limited the variety of that data is, how much it is put through a white um, supremacist lens, often without like consideration for the implications on marginalized communities. So, so that is the data that's now driving this technology. And so absolutely, it's important for us to be extremely critical about it right now. But um, something in and of that, too, like when we talk about like how that technology is freeing up time for cognitive load and space for more things, how you're talking about how you put your phone away and stuff like that. That's something that I think more and more people are starting to ask questions about and talk about, but is also challenging when you think about like, um, again, that diversity lens of like folks like myself who are neurodivergent, I rely on a lot of these mediums to relax and to unwind and to chill out and to like get my mind off of things. You talk about space for um, coming up with new ideas. And like, if you're just focused on one thing, you're limiting that variety and diversity of your of your ability and your ability to free think and free flow and all that kind of stuff. But even the idea too of like I have to get my ideas on paper, that even then, like we talked about with Socrates, that's the idea of like okay, but then you're condensing whatever this like incredible thought you're having, you're trying to condense it into this small medium and through like this, through the, the words that you've been given and not the feelings and the existence that you have and the presence that you have and the embodiment of that. And, and there's so much to be said too about, um, 
one of the things they talk about on weird studies is that the medium is the message is this kind of like koan and koan is like a zen like a zen philosophical way it's of a, thinking it's and it essentially it's, it's a puzzle yes yeah, exactly. Yeah. So these Zen puzzles that essentially like turn in on themselves and make you think about the puzzle itself. And 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 a lot of folks think too that like koans this idea that like they don't have an answer. But the answer is the search for meaning. It's the search through that to understand something. And that is exactly I think what the medium is the message is asking us to do is turn these things in on themselves and ask deeper questions. I think we have to apply that to AI the way we've applied it to any of that technology that has advanced us for totally agree with all of that. Yeah. It's that I never thought of it as a koan, but it, in a lot of ways it, it really is. It's like a, a Western koan. Yeah. Cause the, the whole point of a koan in general is to get the person to a state of Zen faster. So it's essentially just uh, really, I mean, the way that I, I think of it, I think about Zen, I read about it a lot is uh getting you to the space of no space is probably the way a Zen would put it, or Zen Buddhist would, might say it, which is essentially getting you just to not think and ex- existing in the world in, in a transcendent manner is the way that I think it would be most understanding for people. Um, but really, it just kind of means understanding and seeing the world as it is, not as the way that your brain is even interpreting it or telling you that it is, which influences your thoughts and your emotions and even what your perceptions are. Um yeah, like I think the way that I think about how I want to live my life is to be a peak homo sapien. So like a like the best version of being that I can be, uh, knowing that I am all the faults that come with being a, a prime ape, you know, uh, and all of that. Uh, but to try to transcend that in the way of, you know, going about my life. And, you know, I think a lot about raising children now because, you know, we're planning children. And, you know, I think a lot of the ways in which we didn't get a chance to uh, is integrate really with the the awareness of mm-hmm. the fact of, hey, guess what? Uh, the world is incredibly complex and what we're doing to it and how we're impacting it. We're never going to know probably all of it ever. And we're certainly not going to know it in our lifetime when we're here. So if my kid's here you're not going to understand everything that's going on. I mean, it took how many years for them to figure out that glycified is terrible. It's going to take how many more years until they stop using it. I don't know. Uh, and you know, any number of things, you know, like my parents are, are baby boomers. They said food comes out of a factory and that's totally fine. And they didn't think about it. And it turns out that is horrible, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, every, giving your kid TV dinners every night is not a good way to set them up for success. Um, but, you know, that wasn't – they didn't have enough – in, in some ways, I, I you know, I won't fault them, is that they didn't have enough of a, a backstory of all of the years of understanding the complexity that goes along with all these things, all the mistrust you can't have when things scale. I, I inherently don't trust many things that are at scale. Uh, I think once it's at scale, it's going to start <laughs> creating a lot of issues. I like, I like more like decentralized systems and not like blockchain. But uh, – um, we are moving towards more local and I would love that. governance too. I would love local that. Communities. Yeah, I would love right, that. Totally. Um, yeah. No. But you know, I, I think being able to integrate yourselves or, or children in some way of maybe being like, you know, I, okay, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, it's not that I don't use my phone. It's that I understand my propensity to want to sc- scroll constantly, right? Like my, like I think of social media as like a brand of cigarettes and I like Reddit. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. the social media. If I had to be on one, it's Reddit. You know, and I know that I can just like scroll Reddit okay. and be like looking at. But that's so 
It is a brand of cigarettes, though, because don't get me. But it's, but it's so funny. Trying to get someone to change social media, <laughs> and they'll be giving the same bullshit reasons of someone being like, "How about you go from Cools to Newports? Would you do that?" They're like, "Are you kidding me? I can't do that." <laughs> right. But uh, my friend was just telling me he's like a huge Reddit guy, right? And and he's a software engineer, and so he thinks very very similar about technology and stuff like that. And he was saying that the joke is that if you if you want to um, like brand something really well, if you want your product to sell and market, just make a bunch of Reddit posts about it because people will, I, I'm the same person. I will go to Reddit and be like, oh, what does everyone else say about this thing? And I think it's, it, it's, it's just another like social network. It's just something else too. It's another brand of, of social networking. But I think it's, it's the demographic that exists there that maybe would you say is it for you you find more trustworthy oh no i don't trust them at all i think they're all just maybe the i think demographic. i know the demographics exactly. are a bunch of dudes that that don't know shit i just think they're also really good at finding out things that that they learned that day that are very fascinating like the t- today i learned is, that's the, that's usually what i go on there for it's like today i learned or like <laughs> like shower thoughts those, like those are shower. great well i, I go there for yeah, like exactly. animal pictures yeah, and dude, stuff. sometimes i just want like the was it like awe isn't that the one that's like yeah oh dude yeah no. yes oh <laughs> nature yeah, is yeah, fucking dude, cute like, that stuff. <laughs> like, totally. no uh some, but see like so like going back to it is like i i know that there's i have a propensity to just be like scrolling someone's hiking pictures and then I'm like, what the fuck did I just do for 15 minutes? Well, they're oh, designed I, that way. Oh, totally. It's designed yeah. like a slot machine. Yeah, That's and they the intention. That. It's to keep you. Yeah, they, they went, you know, yeah. what, did, what did Tristan Harris uh, leak? They went down the brainstem. Like, they, no, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, 100%. So, like, my way yeah. of trying to, to recognize that is that I know that. So, I try to keep it away from myself. And the ways that I try to interact with technology is more of understanding what it is and then building myself little ways to get out of it. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that we will see, so in the way that, okay, TV dinners, I think everyone knows TV dinners are not good for you. I'm not sure if that was widely known when my parents were children. Right. Um, I mean, I think they probably had suspicions, but to the depth of understanding, like propensity towards diabetes, propensity towards, uh, I mean, everything is, it, it, we're talking about the sugar and the well, sugar process. Like people food, still don't really salt, understand. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, added exactly. chemicals. Like I'll say, like glyphosate again. Like yeah, corn. Well, corn, yeah, corn, <laughs> or even using corn syrup instead of sugar, and like the effects that that has. Like you know, it, it, a lot of these things. Vegetable oil versus oh my, tallow and repurposed vegetable oil. We're just yeah. talking about McDonald's fries. Like absolutely, no. I think it's a pretty. I I think something here like that's really important too. There's a, a great podcast called pick me up. I'm scared. And it's generally like, an, it's hilarious. It's great. And it's generally like an anti-capitalist podcast and socialist podcast, but it, it's, it, it is really talking about like cultural phenomenons through the lens of like this new way of thinking about things. And that's exactly what we're ta- they talk about to some extent too, is this idea that like time is a privilege. What you're talking about is, oh, is a privilege is for people to have right. The privilege to be able to stop, pause and think about their consumption in in a critical way and that's absolutely like a a, a first class citizen like, oh, privilege is to even consider the all even this to be stuff, able to, right? to choose that i'm not eating tv dinners or have the, the that i'm not working three right. jobs that are paying me absolutely nothing i'm grinding myself to a bone i you know i i have yeah. no time to sleep and i don't have the time to think about it no i totally that it if you are able to have leisure time that you're not okay i saw something um when i was uh staying at a cabin in southern indiana recently and uh 
it was a sign like or it was like a it was printed on like something that you would have in your kitchen to wipe your hands with like after you wash them and it was i want to just be rich enough to stare off in the distance when i'm pumping gas and right? like even even the <laughs> yeah. fact that you can like put gas in your tank and not be stressed out like i made a purchase recently that was 150 dollars, and i didn't have a lump in my throat and i thought about the times when i would make purchases that were smaller than that and i'd have a lump in my throat like fuck i guess i gotta buy this oh yeah i, I had to check my account for 12 dollars and 50 cents the other day and i was like wow yeah. my life is so different than it was a year ago <laughs> yeah so i i do think like it is the like Capitalism plays a huge role on all of this because it keeps us conditioned to a system of existence. And capitalism, too, I'm talking about like modern would you say capitalism, consumption, and like corporatized capitalism. Or would you say capitalism? Yeah, I think it's it's tough because capitalism has in and of itself like an idea of like globalization, and that is like more so what i'm talking about versus like consumption and like the act of consuming i did talk about that my last episode was cri on critical thinking and like critical consumption this like idea that you know um to consume is to take all of or to give all of yourself and so i do think that there is the cons consumption is an important part of it but i'm talking about like globalized capitalism and like the how we understand capitalism today to keep us as like a, a, a social condition that keeps us in the hamster wheel to an extent and creates an a, a, a like what you're talking about like a division of power where only the rich can sit and stare off into the distance when they're pumping gas when the rest of us are having or are feeling the need to stay on the pulse um for whatever conditions that well, exist i mean i don't us. think it's the rich like i'm doing very well for myself but i'm not rich right i'm just I, right like totally I, I, totally yeah comfortable. comfortable i live in right, an area yeah. that is I, I live way below below my means right um, which is definitely part of it, but, uh, I would say, yeah. Yeah. okay. The, the part that I'm curious to, to separate a little bit of what you just said is, so the way that I think of capitalism is that it's a market and it's a market that you can exchange mm -hmm. things across, right? I don't know if it's necessarily, I'm curious to hear if it's necessarily capitalism or the global status quo. Because the status quo is that yeah. <laughs> few people have resources and we're going to divide everybody to conquer and to make you guys be screaming about red and blue team or whatever the division is, as opposed to right. realizing, oh, wait a second, a handful of companies are responsible for 95% of all uh, environmental destruction, but you're telling me I need to have a plastic straw, which I'm against plastic consumption in general. I actually am really against plastics, to be honest, just to throw it out there. But I'm saying like, you know, having a picture of a, a turtle with a straw in its mouth was incredibly useful to just be pointing the figure over here as opposed to what I would what I would call a global status quo. So would you, I'm curious to hear thoughts. Is it the structure of markets? And it, would that be the way you would talk about capitalism or is it like a status quo of you know power dynamics essentially i think it's it's that right like it's the combination of capitalism globalization capitalism in a modern sense which is driven by monopolies of power which are also like completely interwoven in our democratic quote systems and so i think that the modern interpretation of that because obviously the like capitalism just like communism as an idea are not un, are not harmful as concepts right they just exist as concepts to understand like 
political structures and, and societies and things like that. The modern interpretation and globalization and exploitation you know, derived by capitalism and its interpretation now, I think is more what I'm talking about. And and we talk about consumption being an important part of that, but I think it's exploitative yes. consumption and it's like, it's engineered totally. consumption. Yeah, totally. All of it from putting sugar in food. So you keep craving it all the way through. I mean, yeah, taking water out of the ground at no cost and putting it in a plastic bottle. It's full of phthalates that are destroying your endocrine system and selling it to you. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, all of it. You know, and I think too, like, um, when we talk about this movement, right, of folks towards a slower life, that's an interesting, I think, phenomenon that's going to continue to, like, blossom, I think, because people are starting to notice, just like we talk about, like, the privilege of time too, to even have critical thought to be a critical consumer to to consider something like a koan, like the medium is the message, right? It, it takes the privilege of time, um, which most of us don't, don't have, I think in, in this like modern society, um, unless like you said, you're extremely comfortable and well off, but even then there's, there's this, um, the morality issue too, is like, what is driving you? Is it greed or is it, is it community? You know, is it, is it giving back that gives to you or is it that you need to survive? So you need to take. And I think people are thinking about these things much differently than we have been in the last 60 years partially too is you look at like the global economies and like global political movements and things like that we're not currently right this very second you know in a, a time of war here in the u.s and so what privilege does that give us to be intellectuals to, to an oh extent? yeah no, totally i think the space to think is so important regardless of what it is um and you know, there's like some interesting studies of how much being poor affects your IQ. And it's like, it could be like 30 mm -hmm. to 50 points mm -hmm. off of your IQ because you're just poor. And, you know, like when I was, I grew up really struggling pretty hard. And when I got a job consulting for the first time and I was making money where I had a budget, but I didn't have to worry about not making that budget every month after a while. I started feeling like different. Like I, I could I, like when something mm -hmm. would happen at work, I wasn't sent into a downward spiral. And I started realizing like, right. oh, this is what it is. Like my decision, like my, and my decisions were not as fast and erratic, right? Because it's like, oh, I don't have a boot totally. on my neck. I don't have something that's weighing me down because I'm thinking, because like, sure, I'm making this irrational decision to buy McDonald's right now, which I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily have the money to buy this right now. I have food at home. I should be getting that food at home. I also know this is bad for me, but I'm doing it because really what I'm stressed about is the fact that I don't have enough money to pay rent. Right. And, you know, yeah. I think that is a huge part in how people, I mean, I think a lot of people are stuck in that, especially after inflation is being hit. I mean, that's just totally getting worse. Yeah. And the job market now, I mean, it's only going to, and too, like people don't realize like the long-term implications of a job market like this as well as like people are going to burn through all of their savings and it's just going to amplify so many of the economic problems we're already having there. I, I mean, I have to say that this is what this podcast or these podcasts are all about, you know, but I, I do think that there, when we talk about intention and kind of going back to that, like. Um, something I talk about on my podcast is like, is do 
corporations slash like capitalistic governances, you know, like, is the, do they want sheep? Or do they want a bunch of wolves? You know, like, which do they actually want? And we talk about the intention of like propaganda and things like that. That's the intention right there is like, is like to create an environment where we don't have the time, capacity, energy, resources to have these conversations or to think about the impact of these structures. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I totally think so. And I think government is completely co-opted by corporate interests. And I think, you know, I think they realized a long time ago, oh, wait a second, uh, we could take the EPA to court or we can just promise a bunch of EPA officials a bunch of money when they leave the EPA. And then we don't have to worry about yep. all the shit we're, we're putting into rivers, which is an actual thing that happened um, and is currently <laughs> happening. Actual thing. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, I keep bringing up glyphosate, so I'll, like, I'll bring up glyphosate. Like that was found to be horrible before it was even used. And do you know, like one of the largest, okay. So like the use of glyphosate is growing and do you know the largest segment of where it's growing in? Um, if you don't know, I'll tell you it's uh, putting it on wheat. So it used to be that you would put glyphosate in the ground of course, and it would kill any of the pesticides because they had, okay. Glyphosate is Roundup. Uh, Monsanto created Roundup. Uh, and then what they did is they took, they found this uh, weed growing in the ground. Uh, weed is just a plant you don't want to grow. So they found this plant in the ground that wasn't affected by glyphosate. Glyphosate is like a chemical composition not too far off of salt. Uh, it's it's some, somewhere along those lines. So they took the molecules, you know, the DNA out of uh, the plant that was resistant to Roundup and they put it in corn and they called it Roundup Ready Corn. So what they first did is they would spray Roundup on the ground and it would kill all of the other plants that weren't this plant. Um, they didn't think about how it was running off into our water systems and then creating a dead zone the size of Texas and Gulf of Mexico, but whatever, that's beside the point. Um, so, you know, once the corn got large enough, you don't care about the weeds anymore because you're just, you're just growing corn and you want to outcompete everything. And it doesn't matter if there's anything anymore. So the concern for Roundup is really at that point was in the groundwater, not as much on your food. Now they realized if you have a wheat crop and if you have a late, winter uh or say like a late fall rain well it can cause mold and then you're not going to have as much of a wheat crop so and you because you have to wait for the wheat to dry out so what they do now because it's similar to salt is they spray it on all the wheat so now the wheat is ready to be harvested right but here's the problem it's all full of glyphosate and that just is horrible for you in so many innumerable ways um but even the fact they're able to do that is because of this corporate, you know, convergence in between there. And, you know, uh, I'm trying to find a way to bring this back to the medium as the message to, to, to find a way to close it. But it's, it's interesting how, as we're talking about all of these different things, the technology and the society it, it resides with are so intertwined to each other that it's almost impossible to separate those two. And I think the thing that you brought up that I'm going to definitely be thinking about is the idea of transmedium. And how one thing jumps to another, to another, to another, you know, I think that happens more and more and more now, which both proves my propensity towards the medium, the koan of the medium is the message, uh, as well as it goes against it, actually, because, you know, how many times have we seen somebody on a podcast saying something, it's clipped up out of context, put on TikTok, 
now it seems like they're talking about something completely different than we're talking about. But now everyone on TikTok that saw it doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't exist to them on other medium, you know, in a long form or whatever it is, because the medium of TikTok is just short short content and get people hot and bothered for a minute and then keep going. Yeah. Exactly. To be divisive intentionally. Oh, totally. Right, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> so many things you're talking about too. If you if people want to listen to like a really great podcast episode on like Mad Cow and like the meat issue too, because you're talking totally. about like Monsanto and Roundup, there there are a, an innumerable <laughs> presentations of this in other areas. And when we talk about like documentary filmmaking and journalism and things like that, like you know, regardless of the co-opting of that for capitalistic intent or attention economy, there is the intention beneath that, right, is to like, you know, blossom truth from somewhere, like show you <laughs> like the truth behind something and share a different message or a different interpretation. Um, a great podcast is Maintenance Phase. It's just called Maintenance Phase. Awesome podcast. And they talk about that too, about how like the the meat producers lobbied the government and created this like like the FDA, even to some extent, like is doesn't even really like FDA matter. does not matter. It doesn't the actually FDA do does any good. For us. No. It does not matter. <laughs> no. So, so there's so many things like that that like we put our trust in these institutions to create like again that heuristics to create easier decision making and and so that we don't have as much decision fatigue. And but that is the you know the problem behind a lot of the mediums we use is that it's just creating more decision yes. fatigue in in the information overload and like you're talking about being able to like reduce and limit your inputs from things i think that's extremely important and i see more and more people saying oh i got i like my partner even she's like i had to take tiktok off my phone <laughs> and i'm like why you just just don't use it she's like I, I would just click into it and i think it's for me i have the same thing with email especially being on the job market now like linkedin email like i'm attached to all of these things but it just perpetuates like my yes. bad mood and like my depressive state <laughs> you know at that three o'clock in the morning when i open up my email and you know see a rejection or something like that it's going to also limit my ability to be connected to anything around me in my environment i'm just going to be in this perpetual state of like disillusion totally <laughs> you know, from everything yeah and so i think that's when we come back to like the medium is the message and the fun thing i'm the same way as you is like it it is both i agree with it in so many ways and then i'm like wait hold on <laughs> like, like let's be reflective about that like what would it mean to say the message is the message in in our current modern context to say that like the, actually the stories that we're telling and the like history of those stories and the intention of those stories and the messages that are happening those are actually extremely relevant because regardless of where you're posting them across mediums what is that story? What is that message that's being told? And and what is behind that? What's the context that exists? I think like a good example is like just checking the copyright mm -hmm. date on a book will tell you a yes, lot will, yeah. <laughs> about the context in which that book exists and that medium, why that, you know, the context for that medium. But the message itself is the thing that transcends time. That's interesting. You had me until the end. I don't disagree with what you said in whole, but I think the message transcends time, but it transforms along with it. So this is like Socrates, like you oh, write yeah. down something and you lose the context of what it was and you don't realize it, right? Like something that's so funny to me is people are really into Marcus Aurelius's meditations, which, I, which is all well and good, but I mean, it's written by the most powerful and richest man in the world. 
right? And he was he was conquering what he thought were barbarians while he was doing this all, right? Like <laughs> it's like reading Elon Musk's tech, I, it's, like it's Twitter way posts. <laughs> way more philosophical. And let me tell you this much: you will learn something from reading Marcus Aurelius' meditations. You will learn <laughs> jack shit, except for about the bounds of the human ego, which is boundless. Let me tell you. Uh, but uh, just just Elon, yeah. If you want to watch Elon Musk service himself for however long you want to read, just go ahead and do that. <laughs> Uh, but, um, like ideas, um, okay. So the message isn't always perceived in the way that it is intended. Right. So like, you know, like, um, know your audience, right? Like I gave a presentation to a bunch Mm -hmm. of executives, uh, yesterday and I knew the whole time that like certain things were just going to go way over their head because they just don't have the attention for it. Right. They're just, they're not used to people challenging them in the same way because they're used to the one being having the final say in the room every single day right so you know the way i presented was not so much in the way of like i'm telling you that i'm an expert in these things listen to me you know it was i have to craft a story (laughs) around it and so on and so forth now if what i wrote was brought to a different audience than it was intended it wouldn't land the same way but something that is put out there can have that happen which is the whole socrates you once you write it down it you can't unwind it but I would say even beyond that, like the way that I said some things in this presentation yesterday did not land the way I was expecting it. And it was actually the exact opposite of what I intended. And I was like, oh, you just got triggered. That's not what I meant. Uh, you know, and then I had a, I had this line that I already had queued up, which was like expertise lies in nuance. So let's have this nuanced conversation. Uh, but uh, I, I think... Because they have time for that, right? Like they have time. Uh, Well, this brings it all back. It's hilarious. Way to tie that all back. Um, But so, like, I do think, I I think maybe the way that I'm landing in what you said is that message is the message as the person intended to craft it, but is that actually how it is perceived? And I think to your point, which is great, which is the curiosity of the person to say, "What is the medium? How is this influencing me?" How is this perception, you know, me forward? I think the one thing that we missed and I didn't think about this until the end is we talk about TikTok as the medium when this little black mirror is actually the medium and how I perceive things with my thumbs <laughs> is the medium. And, mm, you know, I think, yes, I think a lot about totally. what we've lost is like tactile sensations, you know, and uh, yes, I like yes. to write with a pen. I write everything with a pen. I actually even like writing with this one because it's a piece of wood. And I think there's just something to... Oh, oh, I have the same one. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's, so it's like the tactileness, you know? And I think. Yes. The oh, weight yes. of this. Yours almost looks exactly like mine. It's makes hilarious. the experience. I yeah, think it's it like is very like similar. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think like the, the medium, our curiosity to how the medium is affecting us, you know, uh, okay, to bring it back to Socrates and keep tying him into all of this, like, you know, he's, when they said, uh, you know, the uh, apology of Socrates, he's on trial for corrupting the youth of Athens, which really was he was doing was getting people to think for themselves and challenge authority. Um, so he's on trial for this. And they said, hey, look, you can live. You just can't practice philosophy anymore. And his response to it, supposedly, he didn't write anything down. Plato wrote this, right, uh, was an unexamined life is not worth living. And I think like that's almost where we're landing is, look, the medium, the way that the, the form something is presented to you is going to influence you. Be curious about how it is influencing you. The message behind it 
is just the message as the person intended it, but be also curious about that because how someone's presenting something to you is, I mean, I would say the elephant in the brain is there. They may not even know they're deceiving themselves to try to deceive you, to get you in there. They may actually think they're doing something right. I mean, I like Norman Borlaug, uh, the guy who did the whole green revolution. He's also the reason that we were using chemical pesticides and chemical agriculture. You know, I like the guy because he legitimately thought he was feeding the world, but he didn't realize that we're, you know, in India, we're, we're changing the grain, which changes the diet, which changes their health effects. Or, you know, once again, the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico from all the nitrogen fertilizers and, and all of those things. Um, you know, he, his intent was that, and I think there's a lot of truism to the anecdote of the road to perdition is paved with good intentions. So, so (laughs) think of the medium, think of, you know, be curious about it. How is it being presented? How is it influencing you? What's the message? Who's the person? What's their bias? All of those things. And I think we actually landed the plane. (laughs) We finally did. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd say like, the thing I like to say is like the medium can hijack, distort, or amplify a message, but it it does all of those things. Right. And that's exactly what you're saying is like the truth lies in our interpretation of it because truth Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. The fact doesn't exist. Truth doesn't exist for the most part. Right. And so like, what is the truth like you're holding from this interpretation of that message? And, and one thing too, is when we talk about like mediums trans um, transcending time to an, like and messages, sorry, messages transcending time mediums too. But you know, um, the idea of like the great flood, right? This is like now to be the great flood is something that has shown up in so many different religious texts, so many different folk tales and lore and things like that. It's a story that has transcended time. But now historians are looking back at that story and saying, hmm, does this talk about an ancient apocalypse? Like, does this actually exist? And can we find a through line between all of these things? And is there historical fact to stories and to messages? So I think that's like just to tie it back of like, there is something to be said to about like, um, how we as a culture think about the messages that are presented to us. And that is what McLuhan had asked of a population in the sixties that was inundated by like ceaseless advertising and propaganda from all fronts. (laughs) And now in a, in a modern context, that's exactly kind of what we're turning to ask our listeners too, is to turn that back on itself and say, let's think even deeper about the mediums that exist, but also let's think even deeper about the messages and their interpretation and and our truth that we're garnering could not agree more and everyone is trying to sell you something nowadays everything is (laughs) yeah don't forget it in all seriousness though like you know like someone's a tiktoker and they're making tiktok videos of their child and oh this is all like this person's a good parent they're not thinking about the fact does the child have consent is there is this even the right thing to be doing are they are they actually presenting themselves just that they are on the camera it turns out a couple months later they're getting arrested for child endangerment should we ever been a, right, a surprised, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, and and I think what's yes. so fascinating is that McLuhan, in so many ways, is timeless because of what you're saying. Like he was saying, you know, culture advertising in this mass-produced way is is new. Um, how is this going to affect us? How is this going to to propensate uh, our culture going forward? Uh, and nowadays, mm-hmm. I think the danger of it all is that it's so intergrained with our everyday life that we don't even realize it to a degree that I think would probably astound him. Or he might just be like, uh, y'all motherfuckers, I told you. Yeah, I told exactly. You <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> no, I love it. I think in, and just in like, 
people consuming to some extent, like podcasts and stuff like this, they're doing the thing, the antithesis of consumption or like consumption and like corporate consumption and that kind of stuff. The antithesis of that is learning Sorry. for yourself yeah. and like going out and exploring. And so I like, oh, thanks dude, for thank you. Here. No, I mean, this <laughs> is, this is great. Uh, I really appreciated your time. And I know this is like, this is weird. Cause it's like, you're on my podcast. No, I'm on your podcast. It's like Spider-Man pointing at himself. Transcending the medium. Yeah. Oh, here we go. It's <laughs> amazing. I love it. <laughs> we and we landed it. Well, thank you, though. I really appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. We got to do awesome. this again. This was a blast. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to do this again. We have so many topics we can talk about. So if anybody wants a particular topic from <laughs> us. Shout out. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, for sure. Sweet, I'm going to pause <laughs> yeah. it. It was a blast, man. <laughs>